Everyone, we continue our read-through of the New Testament. Today we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here in this chapter, Paul seems to respond to some doubts and criticisms of his ministry. And in this chapter, he defends his ministry of the gospel and at the same time recalls the work that he and his companions have done and gives the Thessalonians a pattern of loving service to follow as he demonstrates his love for them and the importance of the word which is at work in them as believers. So let's read through it, making some comments as we go over it. He begins by writing, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Let's go ahead and stop right here at the uh, end of verse 8. I I love this, right? So he begins by talking about the afflictions that they faced back at uh, Philippi. But they continued in the boldness to preach the gospel, not because they had any kind of greed or desire to uh, want anything for themselves, but rather because of their passion for the gospel of God and the reality that what they preach is from truth, not impurity, not error. Paul stresses the pure and indeed divine source of his message and ministry. He will repeat this over and over again, that this word is not the word of men, but the word of God. It is truth, and because of that, he has boldness and a desire to see it proclaimed everywhere and at work everywhere in spite of the affliction that may come with it. Apparent throughout this section is Paul's deep affection for his spiritual children, who but months before were complete strangers to him, alienated by race, culture, and religion, but who now in Christ have become very dear to him. And brothers and sisters, that is the great beauty of the gospel. The gospel is not only the power of God. It not only is is pure and perfect. It is not only that which gives boldness to us, but it is that which unites us as brothers and sisters. The gospel becomes the central point of our affection for one another in spite of what other tertiary differences we may have. The gospel becomes the point of our love and care for one another. He continues, verse 9, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. 
For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles, that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has come upon them at last. So we'll stop right here. So now he talks about what he is so thankful for, right? First, he, he, he continues to add further testimony to the validity of his ministry by talking about how everything that they did was upright and blameless and righteous. How they even worked to ensure that they would be no bur- a, a burden upon the church. They worked day and night laboring, you know, for Paul that was tent making and things like that in order to ensure that there was no limiting factor, nor that anyone could come and say, oh, you're just doing this for the money. You're doing this for the financial gain. He wanted there to be no stumbling block from the gospel ministry. He had the right to make those demands as an apostle, he said, but he chose not to, to ensure that there could be nothing at all brought against him that might say that he is in this for any other reason than the advancement of the Christ kingdom and the proclamation of God's truth. And this is what he's thankful for. He's thankful that when the Thessalonian believers heard him, they realized they were not hearing the words of men. They were hearing the word of God. And so for anyone who despises Pauline teaching or anything like that, what they need to realize is they are despising the word of God. Those who try to pit Jesus' words against Paul's words are foolish because Jesus' words, which are the word of God, are also Paul's words, which are the word of God. They are the inspired word of God. All of scripture is theonoustos. All of scripture is God-breathed. And we are to receive each and every bit of it as we are receiving the word of God, because that indeed is what it is. And the most important thing that Paul says, not merely that they receive the word of God, but that the word of God is at work in them. The word of God, though it comes through human agency, is a divine message that works in believers through the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is what applies that word in their lives. And as such, they have become imitators even of their their sister churches in Judea who also have faced persecution underneath the unbelieving Jews there. And this has continued throughout the time that the Lord himself was killed and persecuted by his own kinsmen. Just as Jesus had noted the continuity of those who persecuted the prophets with those who persecuted him, so Paul and Stephen also in Acts 7 see the same continuity extending to those Jews with whom he formerly worked, who persecute Christ by now opposing the gospel. Paul's fullest elaboration of his approach to understanding this problem of Jewish opposition to the gospel is found back in Romans 9-11. through You can go back and hear our conversations on that. He says, though, something fascinating. He says, God's wrath 
has come upon them at last. These Jews who seek to persecute the church of Christ, who seek to oppose the message of the gospel going forth, the wrath of God has come upon them at last. Now, these last two words may be also translated the end, right? But this may be a prophecy of the catastrophe which overtook Jerusalem in AD 70, within 20 years of Paul's writing, or it may refer to a sequence of calamities that had already begun and were to reach their culmination in the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 7. It could also refer to merely the punitive hardening of a large segment of Israel in their culpable rejection of Christ, a hardening that Jesus saw as a fulfillment of Isaiah's dire prophecy back in Isaiah 6. Compare a similar outworking of God's wrath upon the Gentiles outlined in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 22. So as Paul would later write, this partial hardening is befallen Israel and will remain until the full number of Gentiles are brought in. So the part of Israel not subject to hardening is that faithful remnant, Isaiah 6, 13, right? That in the gospel era, era continues as the object of God's mercy finding salvation while the other faces judgment for its unbelief and that judgment is seen in its hardening towards the gospel message. And I think that's probably what Paul has most in mind here, even though indeed that judgment would be fully seen, physically seen, in the destruction of Jerusalem. Verse 17. But since we were turned away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Here Paul talks about how he was torn away because of the issues that arose there in Thessalonica. And and that Greek word there for torn away literally means orphaned, a word used for parents as well as children who've been separated. And Paul is using this family imagery, and that's such an important concept. We are a family. The church is a family. God gave us a family in his body. And the question is, is do we treat each other as such? Do we have the same kind of love, accountability, reconciliation that should mark a family? Or are we merely spectators who come to a concert together, who are there only because we enjoy the show? Or do we truly see one another as family, deeply dependent on one another, longing to care and to be and to meet together the way in which Paul so desperately reveals to the Thessalonians here? Because for Paul... The church was his legacy. Those believers were his glory and his joy. This great reality of what Paul saw as the absolute work of Christ through him. That was his joy. This was the fruit of his faithfulness. Was what God had used and done so in bringing up this church in Thessalonica. And Paul looks for the day of which Christ would return and the fullness of the body would be presented to his glory and joy, knowing that it was through the grace of God he had been able to take part in this glorious work of kingdom building. We are a part of a glorious work, church. I pray that you will celebrate and rejoice as you come together with your brothers and sisters in the Lord 
as you look to one another and think of the reality that those relationships which you build in the body of Christ are those which will last forever and as such should be celebrated, appreciated, and deeply, deeply bought into. May we be as connected and loving as what we see with the Apostle Paul and his heart towards the Thessalonians. God bless.